Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company, all right? We're a movement of everyday folks like you and me who are letting beauty break through the noise so it can transform our culture from the inside out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm so pumped you're here. What's up, everybody? Today, I have the privilege of sitting down with an old friend, singer-songwriter Kevin Heider, all the way from Dayton, Ohio. He spent about 36 hours with us in Nashville, really only a few weeks ago, to record back-to-back podcasts. So this is exciting. This is the first of a two-part series with Kevin. He also was part of a massive Fireside Sessions recording that we did with some other amazing artists like Jenny and Tyler artists like Stephen Day, Jillian Edwards, and that means there's a lot of great new live music videos coming out soon. But we also hosted a live stream concert with Kevin that we have not released yet. And you're going to hear more about that a little bit later. But for now, kick back because today Kevin and I just get to catch up a little bit. It's been a couple of years since I've even seen Kevin, and he's in the root system of Love Good. He's one of the first artists that Love Good ever supported all the way back in 2011, 2012, right? Even before Love Good existed, we were doing massive music festivals in Nashville. We were putting together live records. In fact, you can't even find these anymore, but they're called Love Come Alive, okay? Love Come Alive 1, Love Come Alive 2. Kevin was one of the big artists featured on that. He was also the artist alongside a handful of others that launched Love Good in the summer of 2013. He was one of our featured artists in house concerts all over the country. And today we have a chance to really talk about the power of memory, memory in our own lives, memory as a power of the soul that is meant to bless us and not to haunt us. That's even meant to help us be more fully human, to understand where we've come from. And that's true not only of our personal memory, but even of our historical memory as well. As always with Kevin Hyder, there's a bit of controversy. There's a lot of creative genius and just an opportunity for all of us to be inspired, to be reminded what it means to be fully human and fully alive. So relax, sit back. In just a few moments, I'll be back with my dear friend, Kevin Hyder. Oh, how great was the flood that passed my lips unsung like a newborn babe's first taste of life it danced on my tongue oh how great was the flood Like a knife into a mother's chest When her only child dies Well, Kevin Heider, welcome to the Local Podcast. Thank you, man. I love this space. It's good to have you back. You said this is one of your favorite places in the world. I think it's one of my favorite spaces. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, I've seen it develop over the years. It looks a lot different than the last time I was in it. Remember the leather couch? 
I do remember the catch. Yeah, it was I used for the I, I got a lot of a lot of use out of the promo photos gonna say. we shot on that couch. If you go to kevinheider.com, they'll see exactly what we're talking about. I they'll see it. It's some somewhere, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, it's somewhere. No, it's just, it's a great space. And our good friend Chris constructed a lot of it, right? It's really interesting because Mark Pasternak yeah. was the first who we still do. I, I don't get to do as much work with Mark as I would like, but he built this studio in its initial form. Alan Parker mm-hmm. worked in it for a couple of years. Yeah, Chris Cole took it all to the next level. And then it was only about a year ago that we constructed this corner of it as a podcast booth, that end of it as a live stream concert space. Yeah. And then what people don't know is on the other it, side is the warehouse, the warehouse. Yeah. Love good it's products. Just, it's just a beautiful space and it has, it's intimate. It's like a, a really beautifully organized retro garage. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also just got like, we had so many conversations and did so many things in here that were full of potential. Yeah. And just, ex- we, we just discussed so many exciting ideas and possibilities. And some space. of them came to fruition. I mean, this was as but, far back as 2013 when I bought yeah, the place. Right. But you had been coming to Nashville at that point for a couple of years already. Yeah. And okay, so I'm having a flashback because the last time, Kevin, you were on the Love Good podcast, I was listening <laughs> to the post edits. Uh-huh. This is going to sound really exotic, all right? On a drive from Barcelona, Spain yeah. to Andorra. Do you know what Andorra is? No. Andorra is this itty bitty little country between Spain and France that oh, yeah. pretty much okay. just has ski resorts in it. I was in Barcelona for a conference. I was speaking and enjoying some time with friends afterwards. And I had a couple of days to just go skiing. And I'll never forget going up this windy road, mountains, peaks, just covered in white all around me, like little French village chapels, you know, steeples all on the way, little, like literally villages, you know, every couple of miles or kilometers. I just kept working my way up into these mountains until I finally crossed the border into this country called Andorra, which I'd never heard of before. All the while listening to our conversation, I think from season one of the podcast. The very first? I want to say you've only been on the podcast that one time. No, that's not true. Episode, whatever it was, season one. That's not true. Tell me more. Was there a bonus episode? Well, yeah, no, we did there... one in 2018 when you came to Dayton. I think it was that one. That's, we... what I, that's what I mean. I think I was with you ah. in February and then we would have been kind of editing really? it, making sure it was all I see. Okay. kosher yeah. in March, which is when I was in Barcelona, which when I was driving through the mountains, listening to your voice. Okay. And so here we are again. Well, I know we recorded something right after Chris and Alana and I were down here recording yeah. our EPs. Mm. Which maybe that wasn't you know, that the was, podcast in its current form. But that, it was that was something. a pre. There's those conversations still exist. Yeah, not okay. in the public. In fact, we should <laughs> probably go into our archives and release That'd them privately fun. for our patrons. Yeah, but you're right. There was a handful of conversations before we had the Love Good podcast. Okay, that was basically interviews with artists that we loved. Okay, it was you, it was Alana Cimarelli. Our most listened to episode ever was before the podcast ever really launched. Oh, nice. With Cimarelli and like 5,000 And that's views. not public anymore? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Dude, yeah. making an exclusive for the patrons. Audrey. They I'm deserve positive it. Audrey saw we did a double header with her. I've heard those. Yeah. So they must exist. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Good um, memory. Thank you. Give us the life update because man, some well, people why? in our network, some people in the Love Good family have known you for almost 10 years as an artist, sure. as a singer, songwriter, perhaps even as a friend. But a lot has happened since you and I met. 
And since many of our patrons and listeners were introduced to you, uh-huh. there's also plenty who have come on board only in the last two or three years and might not know you yet because they weren't around at the release of The Spark in 2013 right. or even us in 2015. Right. So tell us what's well, been gosh. going on. Okay, so when you were in Dayton two and a half years ago, and we recorded the episode for the last time I was on here, it was two and a half years ago, uh, two kids. Now we have four. <laughs> so that's that's significant. I think Kristen was pregnant with number three at the time. That's significant. We just moved for the second time in 11 months. We've been married for seven years now, and we just moved for the fifth time. Wow. And But now it looks like it's for the at least the longest haul so far. Mm-hmm. We moved into my grandmother's house. She passed away in December. And we are now living in the house that my grandparents bought in 1957. They bought it brand new. Dang. So only hiders have ever 63 years now. Something like that. Wow. You know, whatever the math is. I don't know. That's don't know. cool. Yeah. So it's it's pretty crazy to kind of get, you know, flashbacks of the space that I I spent every I mean, a lot of time there, but every Christmas Eve, like that was our tradition, was going to grandma's wow. house and yeah. doing everything. And and just knowing that these same hallways, the exact same wood floors are the ones that my dad was running around on when he was the same age as our, our two-year-old boy. So, mm. you know, we didn't go into it with, I guess, we tried to avoid this kind of sentimental or, or nostalgia reasons for purchasing it. It was mm. al- It was almost like a in a weird way, almost out of necessity that we bought it because it was a pandemic and we were asked to leave where we were living. They couldn't renew, our, right. our, renew our lease. So anyway, maybe this is a little bit boring, but this is our update. Like it's, for me, it's kind of just putting me in this place of uh, a piece that I feel like I haven't had in a while. Like I think this is the first place I've lived as a, like a young adult post-college that I finally feel like is home. That's cool. And it may well be because of there's just so much history wrapped up in it. It's funny because we were last night having a beer catching up. And maybe this is what old men do. We're not old (laughs) yet. But uh, we were doing a lot of the like just sharing favorite memories of the last decade Mm -hmm. of knowing each other. All the way back to how we met through mutual friends and things like that. It seems to me that, Kevin, you're somebody who has a deep love or a deep appreciation for the gift of memory. You know, you would have a kind of a greater capacity for like the healthy kind of nostalgia, you know, that mm-hmm. reminds us of what really is true and good and beautiful and important in life, you know. To think of you living in your grandparents' home that is mostly filled with, I'm sure, pretty sweet Christmas Eve memories, yeah. right? Yeah. To be the kind of person who can write songs referencing even horrific events from a world war nearly a hundred years ago, right? You're, you're somebody who appreciates the gift of memory. Yeah. Tell me about that. Is that always oh, been? That's a loaded, that's a loaded time. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's yeah. hear more then. Well, this is like a huge can of we've, worms. We've never talked about this Okay. Before. So the, the classic George Santayana quote, and people phrase it different ways. Those who do not learn from history or those who, who do not remember history are condemned to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Right. That mm-hmm. idea. So there's multiple ways to look at this. You can look at this as as the positive and the negative. And I and I think this is where I'm inclined to take it because you addressed, you know, writing songs about how my family means so much to me and that songs that are just basically a collage of family memories in conjunction with songs that address topics like human trafficking, modern day slavery as it exists. I've wrote a song about the atomic bomb, yeah. you know, which I 
never thought I would do. Just An- Anola's wake, man. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, if, if all of these things are memories that they need to be remembered mm-hmm. and examined through kind of the proper context. And so this quote from George Santayana, that those who do not learn from history, those who, who fail to remember history are condemned to repeat it, right? This is like, a, this is a fact of history that in Mein Kampf, Adolf Hitler's book, he referred to the greatest example, the greatest model of as the U.S. government's relocation of Native Americans to reservations. That was the model that he used when he was moving the Jews into the ghettos. And so, you know, to remember this fact of history, like to remember the injustices of history and to always make sure that we remember them in their proper context and in their proper light. You know, anybody can learn from history. It's just like, what lesson are you going to draw from it? Mm -hmm. You know, are you going to say, this was good. This is what I want to do. Are you going to say, no, 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 this was not good. This was not just, Mm -hmm. you know, now. So in the, the corollary of that is to, to seek and to find uh, memories where, Beautiful things have occurred that we have experienced, whether it be the love and the support of family or just the image. This, weirdly enough, you know, I've, I've only seen it a handful of times, but it flashes across my mind at random moments. The image of that man in, in Tiananmen Square who just stands there mm. with his arms open and like he's got like a jacket on his arm or in like a backpack or something and he just stands there in front of a tank, mm. you know, like just people who are willing to do that. Like mm-hmm. there are moments of beauty in the midst of all of the madness and all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly needs to be remembered mm. so that we can, I guess, properly order ourselves as individuals and like where we're going to go as yeah. a collective. It's, it was were, you ex- were you expecting any of that? No, uh, some of it, some of <laughs> okay. it, because I think it was probably about uh, 11, 12 years ago mm-hmm. that uh, a, a different passion act, not Mark, but Adam, an old friend of mine yeah. from uh, my days at seminary. He walked up to me one morning, like he just had the most profound insight of his entire life. And he said, Jimmy, it's almost like this entire thing that we call the, the Christian enterprise can be summed up with one word, remember, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's funny, I've always thought of that in the context of faith, like remembering where we've come from, remembering what God has done for us. Because actually I can live in a lot of fear and anxiety if I forget who I am, if I forget, you know, the the the, the most essential part of me, which is my relationship with God, right? But I think this really plays itself out in a lot of areas of, of art and culture very powerfully and very necessarily, I think the artist has a particular responsibility. And I say with that comes a privilege, right? Of helping mm-hmm. us not forget. Sure. You know? And I know that you've always done that, particularly in areas of, of social justice, but also in areas of, I would say, profound theology, even if it's subtle. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a reason that I will forever love Little Child Don't Cry. <laughs> that sounds so silly, right? Well, y- you know what's funny about that song is, so I wrote that during my semester in Austria. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. And I don't know if I've ever told you this. You know I've been there twice now. I know. Doming Austria, I know, everybody. Which that would make this take a lot longer, so we're not going <laughs> to. I, you know, I went on this spree where I wrote in the span of like, just a, a, a couple days in one week that I was there, I wrote like nine different songs. And I think I've only ever recorded maybe two of them. Wow. It's not the case that everything you write is good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's all, it's all necessary. 
Anyway, I when I wrote Little Child Don't Cry, it was just the simplest reflection that for me didn't feel super personal. Mm. But the next day that I wrote it, we were playing music for the mass on campus there and the campus, as you know, is a, a 14th century Carthusian monastery in mm. the foothills of the Austrian Alps, mm. heaven on earth. Mm. So, this is like this sacred, beautiful space is, is where we're providing music for mass. And I had just written this song at like 2 a.m. the night before. And Father Dave Pavanka, who's mm-hmm. now the president of Franciscan University of Steubenville, he, in his homily, just started telling the story about this class of kindergartners that was asked to, or first graders maybe, to write letters to God and they could say whatever they want. And he told us this because he wanted to illustrate one letter. And the letter was from a little boy named Johnny. And it just said, dear God, I need more love, Johnny. And that's it. And it's like, as he went on to kind of elaborate on this in his homily, he said, a number of things that were like verbatim mm. from the song that I had just written that I had not played for anybody. Wow. And that was for me a moment of like, what is happening mm. here? So, mm. for me, it was a very simple reflection. It didn't feel super personal. And yet, since writing it, I have had so many conversations with people who, like two, two instances in particular after that album that it was on came out, The Salzburg Revolution. Within the span of one month, I had two people who I didn't know, but I had mutual contacts with, sent me messages on Facebook saying they were listening to that song while they were driving and they had to pull over mm. because they were sobbing. Mm. And in one case, he didn't necessarily go into the reasons, but in another case, is this woman who her father had died when she was very young, so she didn't really remember him. Mm. And so, she had always struggled to you know, except really embrace the concept of God as father because she just didn't have a dad. And the very last line of the song is, or the last couple lines, it repeats, don't grow up too fast. Mm. You know, that's how it ends. And she said that that line is what did it because her mom always told her that her dad always would hold her and tell her not to grow up too fast. Mm. And so, for me, I think this kind of wraps it all around emphasizing in a, in a different way than kind of referencing Hitler or any of that horrible stuff, is that for me, this is what is so important about memory. Like, I had a great dad, still do. He's alive, he's well, he's present, he's an amazing grandpa. And I've, I've written, you know, a couple songs about it. Ready, Set, Become is kind of like that. And I am able to see that positive example and have hopefully learned from it and and lived some of it. But having conversations with so many people who do not have that experience, their fathers either weren't present or were just mean. Mm. You know, they were not the good, positive, healthy presences or examples in their life. And that's a reality that that sticks with them as they grow older and they have to dive into that. For me, it is just as important to remember my positive experiences as it is to remember their negative experiences. Yeah. Because you never know who's coming from where. Mm-hmm. And to always be able to count, you know, mine as a, a blessing that I'm grateful for while remembering maybe the negative experiences of others in this regard, you know, should hopefully affect the the level of love and mercy and compassion with which I approach 
other people. I love that. Does that all make sense? Does it that does. kind of bring it full circle? It does for me. I mean, I've always thought, you know, this, this power of the soul that we call the memory, kind of like imagination, it really is meant to bless us, not to mm-hmm. haunt us, mm-hmm. but also to be a force for compassion and, and vigilance in our lives, right? Because I think, gosh, like you said, if we forget especially the injustices of the past, if we forget the mercies of the past, it's just so easy for history or even our own lives to keep going through a vicious cycle of any kind. You right, know? right. And I think there's a, there's a deep despair that sets into the human heart as soon as we don't have this sense of forward movement, uh-huh. the sense that, that life is actually moving forward for us and for our country and for our family and for the world, you know? So I think that's one of the, the opportunities that, that memory provides in a world that is sinking into despair most days. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I would look, I, we're going to do a second podcast here. Sure. I, I knew when we bring Kevin Heiner to Nashville, <laughs> one episode on the podcast would not be enough. So don't feel the pressure to, you know, answer all of this in the next five to 10 minutes. But, you know, the, the world right now has sort of slipped into a, a chaos, uh, an uncertainty, an anxiety like I've never seen in my life. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite questions of these last few months, particularly when I sit down with our artists and thought leaders in the podcast is, how are you processing all of this? How are you persevering with hope? How are you making sense of it? Because I think it's fairly unparalleled, at least for our young 34-year-old selves. You 34? I appreciate that. 35. I appreciate that too. You're not older than that. I'm 36. No, you're not. Yeah, I am. Ah, so we must have been in college around the same time, but off by a year would be my guess. Probably. I graduated, yeah. 2007. Yeah, I was eight. Undergrad, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But we were in Rome, Italy, studying abroad one month apart from each other. It it appears to that that's the case. Yeah. 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 Yeah, So how have you been making sense? Your family, you're even like close friends as you've been thinking through these last six months of, of history. So I... That's another loaded question. You know, when you watch older stuff, and you can find this on the the National Archives of the United States has a YouTube channel where they've got everything up there. And there's a, it's, I think it's a little over 30 minutes long. You can watch the kind of documentary that they assembled on the March on Washington, where Martin Luther King gave that iconic speech in front of Lincoln. Watching that and hearing the rhetoric of so many people that are interviewed and so many of the speeches that they're giving in so many ways, it is identical Mm. to the grievances that are still being listed today. So when you watch old news clips of from the past five, six decades, whenever an injustice involving race occurs and you listen to the, to what the, the loudest voices are that are being projected, the rhetoric is strikingly similar Mm. and unchanging throughout it, which signals a number of things. One of which being that we are very slow to improve. Mm. (laughs) We're we're very slow, some of us, I think, to take grievances seriously and to find, I guess, lasting solutions to them, if that makes sense. And so I think for me, I'm not trying to trying to like preach or get on a soapbox or anything with this. So I think for me, you know, being able to kind of, I, I'm someone who I'm inclined to like dig through the archives and like I'm super fascinated in in by history, and so being able to see these patterns that exist throughout it are helpful to me because it it shows me where, in times of trial or struggle, when when injustice is occurring and and people seem to have very legitimate grievances, 
it shows me where there those have always existed mm. so have movements of hope mm. and movements for peace and so being able to like that helps me you know try to make more of a concerted effort to be more of a calming or hopeful or peaceful presence amidst the yelling mm. on social media if, mm-hmm. that, if that makes sense the which yelling, is where yeah. which is where most of it happens now because we can't can't really go out it's funny and yell at each other in person even if we could go out i mean obviously certain parts of the country are more open than others where were these debates primarily happening college campuses for sure Mm -hmm. i wouldn't say coffee shops although that's become a a huge kind of third space for the world you know i think that was part of the genius of starbucks 20 years ago is they recognized there was this need for people to have a space beyond home and work you know right but I would say coffee shops are places of profound political dialogue and debate. College campuses, for sure. But this is my big question. Have, have we let social media become the platform of our generation, even apart from a pandemic? And I, I just wonder, is this even remotely helpful or healthy? You know? Yeah, I, I would say a broader question would be the internet as a whole. Sure. And I would recommend to you the podcast Rabbit Hole mm. is entirely about what the internet is has done kind of to our brains and to the to the discourse yeah so it's i i think it's it's definitely has become more so since you know most people went into kind of this self-quarantine mode and Mm -hmm. started working from home because you know people don't they don't really have phone conversations as often anymore so unless they're getting on zoom or whatever and discussing this stuff with friends which i don't know how many how often people are actually doing that, <laughs> then it seems like the main space that we can be quasi socially distant is on social media. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's, I don't think it's good. I mean, I mean, the written word is it, you, you lose all body language. And yeah. I, I've always think that like, e- even with you know, one, the one of the, of these masks, I know one of the worst places you can go is the YouTube comment section. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, bad. it's horrible. Yeah. What I've always thought was at least better about Facebook and in some cases, Twitter is that like with YouTube, all the usernames are generally anonymity. Like you create a screen name and it's almost like you're a different character mm-hmm. and you can say whatever you want and there are no repercussions. Screen name, matter. that takes you back to the days of AOL. AOL. Well yeah, done. yeah. Instant Messenger, yeah. Um, <laughs> were, but you, with, were you Facebook, doing that in middle school? Were you I coming was. home every day, instant messaging your friends yeah, on AIM? Yeah, with a little dial-up. We just dated buttons. ourselves, but man, that was, yeah. those were good days. I, and getting the CD in the mail that gave you like 96 free hours of AOL. CD-ROM, yeah. CD-ROM, yeah. But that was the one thing that I did always like about Facebook. It, at least it's not a negative, mm-hmm. is that there really aren't avatars. It's... Mm-hmm. It's your name. So what you're saying is representing you, Mm -hmm. which as we sometimes see really comes back to bite people Mm -hmm. when they say something (laughs) that they shouldn't. But but it's also like, it's also, there's still that level of humanity that is removed Mm. because I have, I've had, or at least seen conversations between people that are just full of vitriol. Mm -hmm. But when they get together, there's none of that. Mm -hmm. And how much of that is me reading into someone's comment because the written word yeah. comes with no inflection. Mm-hmm. Whatever inflection is there, I am assuming, based on my experiences with this person or based on my mood when I'm reading it, yeah. right? So, so much of what we say is body language. And when when I can sit across from you 
And if we're having a disagreement about something, like we're both going to recognize that in our beings and use it to kind of maybe like temper ourselves mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. choose more carefully what we say. Yeah. But even then, if I say something to you, I can't edit it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I have to either walk it back or say, hold on a minute and take some time and kind of correct it. That's and right. Say, I shouldn't have said that. Like I have to apologize for it. With Facebook, you have every opportunity to edit what you say mm -hmm. <laughs> before you say it. And it seems like people don't. Yeah. And I think it's because that, that level of humanity is removed from the discourse. And so everybody, whether they like the term or not, mm -hmm. in some sense, everybody virtue signals, everybody becomes their own version of a social justice warrior yeah, on it yeah. because it's so much easier to say truth, 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 righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. That's it. And it, and you do, just, the tone with which you say it is, mm. you know, almost seems irrelevant. That's I don't right. know. It's, it's easy to like to throw a proverbial virtual punch mm. and feel good that you did it. It's a good point though. There so. is no tone. You know, when you're behind a screen, right. any more than there it's is all inferred or, or the written word, yeah. right? And this has been kind of my my biggest ah grievance, sorrow, sadness. Mm -hmm. You know, the last two months working in a in a high school down in Tampa now is you know I'm having to memorize people's names and faces based on what their eyeballs and hairstyles look like. You know, there's so much of of our humanity that does actually express itself. You know, from the nose down. Yeah. Like you start to imagine what people look like from the nose down and then like you catch them at lunchtime with the mask off. And you're like, no, no, no. Yeah. And it's true. It's that just not what you pictured at all. I'm, I'm eager to get out of this, this time period that yeah. we're living through where there's a lot of humanity that is being stripped away, you know, at times for good reason, but other times for, I think, uh, agendas that to this day, oof, I mean, I just hate to be the one responsible at the end of at the end of time for some of these things that, you know, we're now uh, turning not a blind eye to, but just you know, I've kind of gotten used to riots in the streets at this point. I've kind of gotten used to masks at the airport. Like I'm getting used to having a far lower expectation of what humanity is is meant to be. I'd hate to stay in this place for too long yeah. and to think that this is now a new normal. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's. Hmm. I'm trying to think of how I would word all that. How can I, like, for example, like, I cannot imagine not being able to sort of know Kevin Hyder 10 years later in this conversation. We're three feet apart. We're breaking some rules here, uh -huh. you know? Neither of us are wearing masks. Yeah. Uh, but we're also kind of... Right, our, right. The, our the, the, the our germ trajectory are going, is triangulated. You know? uh, <laughs> but it just gives yeah. me a, a ton of joy, as I mentioned last night when we were catching up initially just to, to to commune with an old friend and her brother and i think so much of that is missing in our world today people are desperate for communion they're desperate for relationship they're desperate to to climb out of their isolation and their own right. kind of personal frustrations and at this point you know we've got an opportunity to keep the communion going yeah episode two or whatever this next one's going to be in the numbers and so I don't know how to land this plane, Kevin, but I'm really excited can to I have you back. Can I try? Can you try? Try to land always. plane for part one? It's always. Okay. I feel like this is a hopeful or positive note. Let's hear it. And I feel like it might tie everything together. What I miss is being able to smile at people. Yeah. And that might seem cheesy, but like I know how tough it is to have like a kid 
anywhere with you in public, like in a grocery store, they want to get out of this out of the shopping cart, right? Yeah. They want to walk, but when they do that, they rip everything off the shelves. They can't mm. control themselves. They fuss, they whine. It's horrible. <laughs> and so whenever I'm at the store and everybody's got a mask on and there's somebody with a kid and the kid's being a little difficult and you can kind of see it in their eyes, you know? I always try to kind of smile real big at the kid and smile real big at the parent and to like kind of just remind them with my eyes and my smile, like, this is a beautiful thing you're doing. Mm. I can appreciate that now because I don't have one of those with me right now. But even just like anybody that I pass at the grocery store, just to like, I've caught myself doing this a dozen times in the last month, month or two. Just like I see someone, you make eye contact and I smile at them real big because I just, you know, want to be like, maybe this will make your day better. And they have no idea that I'm smiling. <laughs> because I can I'm, see your smile lines right here. Maybe. Hopefully. Maybe. But I got glasses on sometimes, so that obstructs it. Anyway, it's just that simple act of like not being able to smile at people. Not, not for them not to be able to receive that, that little token or gesture mm. of joy is strange and and to be honest and i'm looking forward to that to bring being, it full circle like yeah. that little smile that little expression of love does help trigger people's memory that they are in fact loved maybe not as deeply and profoundly I, by you as you'd want to communicate by way of a smile but it's giving them a reminder you know of the I, profound memories of being loved one other points in their life one you know? memory that to anybody else might be completely insignificant i was when i was living in baltimore i pulled up to a, a stoplight there was a crosswalk it was right near johns hopkins beautiful sunny day i'm not necessarily in a good or bad mood i'm just kind of sitting there waiting for the light to change and this girl this woman starts walking across the street and she looks at me through my windshield and makes eye contact with me and she smiled at me like she was just legitimately happy Mm -hmm. and i it just made me smile back and i remember just instantly feeling joy. And like, I still think about it. I still see it. It was almost like she was smiling at me because she knew me and she loved me. And I have no idea who she was. <laughs> if I ever saw her again, I wouldn't know it. Uh-huh. But it was almost just like, look how happy I am. That's cool. Happy. This is possible. This level of joy is possible. Like all of that was communicated to me by a, a one second of eye mm. contact and a smile from a total stranger who might not have even realized that she was looking at me. Mm. She could have been in some other world and some other memory with some other person in her mind as she's walking across the crosswalk. Yeah. But it was like, it hit me in this way of like, true joy is possible. And, and that was like the simplest, most mundane of moments, just watching someone cross the street. The power of memory, the power of joy to reclaim our humanity. Brother, to be continued, can we pick us up next week? Yeah. And I want to hear more about new music. I want to hear more about your family. What's it like going okay. from two kids to four kids? Yeah. What has been creatively inspiring you in these last five years? Okay. Much to catch up about. We'll see you next week. All right. Peace. Peace. I believe you and me. We're a work of art. have heard some things about me I can't imagine they're all good Oh, but please believe me when I say 
As you can tell, we are just getting started with Kevin Hyder. This is the first in a two-part series, which we are pumped about. And you know what? It's really never too soon to claim not only your front row exclusive access to the Kevin Hyder livestream concert that we're going to be hosting in just about a week, but to get your meet and greet access with him as well. So head over to lovegoodlive.com. If you've never done this before, this is your way of getting not only on our email list, of not only getting the, the immediate reminders when we go live with Kevin Hyder, okay? This is also the only way to get the Zoom link that will give you access to our meet and greet with Kevin during the live stream concert with him. By the way, that's taking place on Thursday, okay? Thursday, I think October 1st, okay? We're gonna celebrate the beginning of a new month with Kevin Hyder, Thursday, October 1st. This is your chance to go ahead and get signed up at lovegoodlive.com. As always, come back next week for more meaningful, beautiful, and I would think convicting conversation, right? About what it means to be human, what it means to engage in a world that every single day seems to be more and more losing its mind, losing its heart, losing its head. Love good, we are all about reclaiming this art of being human, of bringing beauty to the forefront of our lives and allowing it to, to renew us, to transform us from the inside out so that we can go and transform culture from the inside out as well. God bless you guys. Have an amazing rest of your week. And again, I'll see you next Tuesday with the second part of this incredible conversation with Kevin Heider. Massive thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. If you like this week's episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, share it on social media, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and then join us on the front lines of building a better culture by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Our patrons get all kinds of incredible exclusive content, such as a weekly long form video of the podcast, a monthly live stream house concert with our artists, and a seasonal package that will raise your standard for music, books, and art forever. Thanks again for tuning in. It's an honor to accompany you as you change the world.